I, I don't know how to start. This is a problem with promos. God damn it. I am so self-conscious about promotion. It's, it's almost like this is a skill that I do not have that I have to work on. I have to make myself more positive about myself. Montana El Diablo. I did promos for a speaker company. And it was just me making fun of how bad my promos were. And they loved it. But I mean, that's it. Montana El Diablo. The rootinest, tootinest P.I. that ever lived. But that doesn't work because he's not a cowboy. He's a P.I. Uh, and you know what doesn't work? Attributing anything to Montana El Diablo. Because Montana El Diablo is just a shell. He's a shell for you, the user, the listener. Because this is not some story where you follow along in a passive way. This is where you make decisions, real decisions that have impact. Life and death. People surviving. People living their best lives or their worst lives. Mountains ascended. And valleys trothed. Which I don't believe is a word. <laughs> I cannot call it a choose your own adventure. Because Chooseco, the company, sued Netflix. And I'm afraid of them now. But that already tells you what it is. Because it's not a choose-your-own-adventure. It's a non-linear, user-driven narrative experience. Montana El Diablo, you will inhabit him. You will become him. You will make his decisions. And one of the more interesting parts is there are over 50 endings in the Montana El Diablo, The Infinite Adventures of. Will you succeed where others have failed? Will you fail where others have succeeded? Will you make the right choice? Can you solve the incredibly simplistic puzzles? Apparently math is hard. Montana El Diablo. You can search for it in your podcast app or you can go to MontanaElDiablo.com and engage in the most exciting adventure that has ever been put out on the internet. I got real soft there at the end. But let's talk about Montana El Diablo. So I'm going to cut that. That'll be a promo I can put out on its own. Montana El Diablo. I started... Two years ago, I've had a deep and intense love of Choose Your Own Adventures because that's what got me into reading. That got me into reading novels and that got me into university. My first degree was in English literature. I like books. I like stories. I like reading. I wrote this and then a, like two years ago, I got real sick. I, th I was thought I was going to be done in a year. It took two years to complete because I got sick and that took me out. I was in the hospital for a month. It took me like six months to recover. And then I started writing again and I finished writing it and I got coronavirus and then I had to go to Canada. That took another two months out. I finished it, writing, recording, editing, posting it. You can go to MontanaLDiablo.com. And I really had a couple things in mind. And the first was I wanted the decisions to matter. So you know you play video games and they say, you know, your decisions matter, but it's A, B. So it's basically, are you evil or are you good? No, these are real decisions. They're gray. They're, they're difficult to suss out. It's, sometimes you don't know what the right answer is, but you have to commit and make a decision. That could push the adventure forward. It could end your life. It could just send you off on a different adventure. I wanted there to be multiple storylines. So the way I started was there are two. You can answer the door. You can answer the phone. Those are two individual stories, two individual narratives separate of each other. So already I've doubled the amount of entertainment you can get. It's not just a straight line from uh, the beginning to the best ending. There are three best endings in my opinion. But you might find another one. One where you settle down with a leprechaun who has hypnotized you and bangs you every night. 
That might be your idea of the perfect ending to a story. It's there. It's available for you. You have to find it. You have to follow the right paths. You have to know what to do. You have to know your heart. Is it good? It's the best I could do. This is the first time I've written a choose-your-own-adventure. So it was a learning experience. I actually think this second story is stronger than the first story because of so much I learned from the first story. This has made me want to write a whole new one altogether because I want to start again. And that's what happens. You make something. You put all that work into it and you realize, I could do better. And then you want to jump out and you want to start writing again right away. I actually already have an idea for the next set of adventures for Montana El Diablo. I had a couple of interesting goals. One that I failed, which is interesting to people. I actually wanted to make Montana El Diablo gender neutral. So I started not saying he or she. I started writing, I was only saying Montana El Diablo. So almost basically third person. Because I wanted the user, the listener, to be able to decide the personality, the attributes of Montana El Diablo. I wanted them to take themselves and lay it on top of the character of Montana El Diablo. I honestly failed. I'm just not that good yet. Maybe I will be someday. But honestly, I doubt it. It's kind of too hard to use the English language in that way effectively. To hide gender from the user and make it that open. But it was an effort. And so you'll notice that I say Montana El Diablo more than I say anything else, but it just got to a point where it was too clunky to do anything other than say he or she or whatever. So Montana El Diablo ended up being a man just because I'm a man. That's basically the only reason. An interesting point was at first, I was really hesitant to kill Montana El Diablo. So I had these long trailing stories that I clearly didn't want to end. And then I started killing him off. And then I started killing him off a lot in new and fun and creative ways. This has been a massive project for me. It's been something I've mentioned a few times here and there, but I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. But now it's it's real, it's available, it's live in the world. MontanaLDiablo.com, you can go there. It's laid out in order, so it makes it a little easy, but you have to sit at your computers. I, I, it's on a podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go wherever. Search your podcast app for Montana El Diablo, and you'll be able to play the game. I don't know what you call it. The game, the audio experience of the century. Since this century has kind of only begun, that's a pretty bold statement. Within the first three days of release, it got to 131 on the Apple Podcasts uh, comedy fiction list, which I was very happy about because I don't, again, here's me trying to diminish myself in my achievements. I don't know how competitive that arena is. I looked at the ones at the top and they were actually all podcasts whose names I had heard before. But me getting in there, because I hadn't announced it on this, I hadn't announced it on Ninja News Japan where people actually listen to my stuff. So it couldn't have been that much, which immediately made me think, if we get a real concerted push, I could hit number one. I could bust out, the McElroy brothers are there with uh, the Adventure Zone. We could knock them out at number one and just put Montana El Diablo, even if it was just for one day, that would be enough for me. That'd be pretty awesome. So that's kind of a goal. I have the Blind Knowledge Collective helping me out, which is a group of podcasts that all come together to support each other. I have the listeners for this show and the listeners for Ninja News Japan, which in my mind, there's a Venn diagram and it's almost a circle. They're actually two completely different audiences. Uh, If you listen to Daily Affirmations Weekly, I mean, maybe you, I guess anyone who listens to that has no interest in anything else I've ever done (laughs) because you're too busy meditating and thinking about how to make the world a better place. But that is actually sort of a weird underlying goal 
can I get the top 10? Can I get to number one? Because I actually don't think, I think it's within my grasp is what I'm saying, is to actually hit number one on the Apple non-fiction comedy charts. <laughs> I am an old man. Very, very old. Uh, I've actually know that compared to my listener base, I am significantly older. I'm probably around the same age as your dad, if you're listening to this. And that's, that's not a joke. That's actually probably true. Interestingly, a lot of my coworkers now, I am actually the age of their parents, which puts us in a weird relationship because we're friends, but also I'm the same age as I could be friends with their parents and it would make perfect sense. And it's weird to be friends with someone who your parents could be friends with. That said, that mean, doesn't mean we stop learning. Uh, when I was 45, I had a, a bit of a rude awakening and it was the word epitome. Now, I had seen that word written down and I had heard that word spoken aloud and I thought they were two different words. I thought it was epitome. And I used this word in the office, the epitome of something. And my coworker looked at me and said, do you mean epitome? And that was the first time, 45 years, I had put together that the spelling and the pronunciation of that word were different. It was a very embarrassed little moment, for, embarrassing moment for me because I was not, I'm not actually used to being corrected that often anymore. Like I, I kind of just, the stuff I know is established. I know this stuff. So I'm generally pretty confident in what I know, but then all of a sudden you find out that the world, you don't understand it. It's all changed and different. Well, last week, two weeks ago, I found another word that I've been saying wrong my entire life. And it's a fairly common and important word. This is the word. Now, I'm going to let the kind computer voice say it first. Remuneration. Now, I think you caught that. You can see how the word's spelt right there. R-E-M-U-N-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. Remuneration. Now, my entire life, I've been saying remuneration as in number and not remuneration. And then you can see just now when I tried to say it, I cannot. I've been saying this word incorrectly for so long that my mouth cannot mold itself to the correct pronunciation. Because to me, it was remuneration as in the number of dollars you get for work you have worked for. So remuneration made perfect sense. Remuneration, remuneration doesn't seem like a real word to me. I saw it written down. I was actually doing a business lesson and I saw it written down. I was like, oh, there's a typo because the M and the U have been switched. I thought I just typed it wrong. I do a lot of dyslexic typing. I taught, I'm self-taught typing wise. So I'm not very good. But that means I do a lot of typos and I'm very forgiving of myself. I do try to spot them and notice them and fix them. So then I went and looked it up to make sure I got it right. And I noticed there was no little red squiggly line under it. I was like, oh, that's weird. So then I went online and I went online and I looked at the dictionary like I did just now and it's remuneration, remuneration, remuneration. 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 Oh, it has a learn. Oh, let's get on this screen together. Let's let the kindly, this has a learn to pronounce button. So I want, I'm really hoping that uh, you will learn with me. If you knew this already, I mean, that's great. I'm not going to take anything away from you, but I've realized as a teacher specifically and as someone who's older, I realize that people enjoy correcting other people, not because they want to help you grow 
or become a better person. They like to correct you because it makes them feel good that they knew something you didn't know. So if you have that attitude, you're a piece of shit and fuck off. But let's learn how to say remuneration or let's see if I can learn to say remuneration smoothly and easily in the next two minutes because I have one more topic I want to get to before we finish today's podcast. So it's remuneration, remuneration. I think I'm getting the accent wrong. This is the accents on the ray. And I think renew, I was remuneration. So I was doing the accent in the wrong place. So, okay, can we, can we, oh, this is the British pronunciation. Oh, no, no, we have to go American. I am still. All right, remuneration. Oh, I've learned something else. Okay, let's, let's hit practice. Oh, yes, please allow. Remuneration. Oh, it's saying you have, may have missed the Y in mu. Okay, let's pr- try again. Remuneration. Remuneration. <gasps> I got a good job. Ah, the internet, the computer, Google thinks I did a good job, and now I feel good about myself again. So, uh, don't feel bad if you can't say words or have made a mistake or something because here I am, an old man who said this word for many, many years and I've been saying it wrong the whole time and uh, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Silence the alerts for the moment. I think these are still the same ones from before. I think it's going through them all so it's going to be like 2,000 or something. So I might actually just let this run in the background. There's one more story I wanted to look at. It was something I read recently. I found it very interesting. It's about Sosuke Uno, who is one of the shortest term, I don't want to say lived because he didn't die, shortest term prime ministers in Japan. He was prime minister of Japan in 1989. Now, he took power at a very difficult time because 47 MPs, so ministers of parliament, were found guilty of taking bribes uh, and unfair trading. So there was a rife with scandals. So this guy had to have no scandals to be able to be successful. So he took power on June 3rd. So he's prime minister. He's been working in politics his whole life. He's been the minister of defense. He's done a bunch of other stuff. He's been prime minister for a few days when a geisha comes forward and says he's been having an extramarital affair with a geisha for the last four months. And you think, oh, it's the sex. He's had sex outside his marriage, and that's going to ruin his political aspirations. It's going to ruin him completely. Well, that's actually not the case. So let's go through the accusations. She accused him of having an affair for four months. And I don't think he actually denies that part. But he, she said he didn't treat the older geisha with the respect they deserved. And he was arrogant and condescending and contemptuous is the word they use in the article I read. He had not paid 300,000 yen a month which at that time was about $21,000 a month to keep her company. So this means if you wanted a geisha to be your side piece, you had to pay them 300,000 yen a month to do it. And then when they broke up, you were also supposed to provide an appropriate parting gift, which is geisha tradition. So it means when you're, if you get a geisha on the side, you're supposed to pay them every month. So in this case, 300,000 yen. Uh, but you have to show, you know, appropriate respect to their elders, to the ones who taught them how to be the best geisha they can be. 
So you have to you have to be you know essentially humble before these older geisha. But this guy's now prime minister. He doesn't have to be humble before anyone. I think that might have been the first problem. The gift, the parting gift, is also money. Japan's very good about what a gift is because when you get married, they give you money. When something happens, you get money. You just get an envelope with money in it, which is far, far more useful than things most of the time because if I have money, I can use that money to buy the things I need. And they might not be very good gifts. Like it might not be a thoughtful thing, but it's a thing I need, which is actually more useful overall. So the parting gift being money was not a surprise. Now this, the problem here for the prime minister isn't that he was cheating on his wife. The problem here for the prime minister is that the country at large, because he hadn't paid this 300,000 yen he was supposed to pay, and he hadn't given an appropriate parting gift like he was supposed to, he was actually seen as cheap. So cheating is very common and very prevalent in Japan. I did an article on Ninja News Japan once, and it said that 25% of women have cheated on their boyfriend or spouse. And the number for men was actually significantly higher. And it did interesting age ranges. I'm not going to try to get it off uh, just from memory. But it was significant. The numbers were significant. There's a lot of cheating, a lot of extramarital, a lot of extra relationship activities going on in Japan. Geisha just happened to be professionals. And as a professional man, he's supposed to take a, this is this is a professional undertaking. So the fact that he was now seen as cheap and unkind made it more of a scandal. It, was, it made it uh, more, ruined his image as a prime minister. Now the thing is, some geisha were also upset. They were upset because the whistleblower had actually put their trade or their jobs at risk because now it now wasn't seen as something that was safe. Right, So if I go and I have an extramarital affair with a geisha and I don't pay her enough money or something, she might rat me out. And if she rats me out, well, then other people are going to be like, whoa, you don't you know, start dating geisha because they'll ruin your career if you don't give them enough money. And what if they suddenly decide that they want more money, more money than you actually have? So this put their jobs at risk because a lot of it had to do with you know keeping things under wraps, keeping things very secure, being very, oh, I'm forgetting the word is the problem. No, I forget, I forget the word anyways. Uh, keeping things secret. Discreet. That's the word I was looking for. The whole premise of their job, their existence, these relationships they have with politicians or professionals is about discretion. It's about being discreet. So because of all of this scandal, Sosuke Uno decided on August 10th that he had to resign from being prime minister because not because he had an extramarital affair but because everyone in the country now considered him a cheap man and not a good and fit leader for the country he served a total of 68 days so he basically did two months and a couple weeks before he had to quit being prime minister now he remained in politics this is another sort of thing that happens in japan which i've actually noticed the man is punished. So these, these are all public relationships. These are going to be famous people and stuff, and they cheat on their wife or something. The man is punished, but to a significantly lesser degree. In Japan, so uh, like every country, scandals are very popular news. And in the news media and in the public, the man gets punished, but the woman gets punished significantly more. About... The one that sticks out the most to me is there was uh, this woman called Becky. She was on TV. She was on everything for a while. 
she had a relationship with a married man and I believe he was going through a divorce. That's not, you know, you consider that not the worst thing ever. When this scandal became public, because they were seen leaving like a love hotel or something together, when the scandal became public, her career ended, just ended completely. She hasn't been on TV since. I've seen her on some internet stuff, but that's her just trying to scrape together what she can get. It's almost completely gone. Whereas the guy she dated, he was a guitar player. He basically disappeared for two or three months and then came back as if nothing happened. So that actually demonstrates the attitude towards the extramarital affair, uh, towards the sexuality and stuff that happens in Japan. One of the interesting laws in Japan is if I cheat on my wife, let's say we, I cheat on my wife and it ends up in a divorce, my wife can then sue my mistress for the pain that my mistress has caused. It works both ways. So if my wife cheats on me with another guy, I could sue that guy for the pain and distress that he's caused me. But it's a very different set of morality, a very different system that you'd probably be used to in America or the West. Um, yeah, so Sosuke served a prime minister for 68 days, not because he cheated on his wife with a geisha, but because he didn't give the geisha enough money and was seen as cheap in the end. And this is why you only go to Japan to visit is a good... <laughs> That's actually very good thinking. I, I, I like Japan. I like living here. But it is interesting. The differences uh, in just the way people think is very different. I would actually say marriage is more transactional. There's a lot of women I've met and they say like they're in 24, 25, 26. And they say, I want to be married by next year. And then in my head, I'm like, well, you got to date someone for like a couple of years. Da, da, da. And like I go through sort of the Western process of you have to meet, see if you have a relationship and then make sure it works out. Whereas they will literally meet someone in a few months later, get engaged and they get married. And again, within their deadline, within a year. And it's because they see marriage as a step. It's almost like fiscal and financial more than romantic. And in Japan, they talk about different kinds of love. And there's the fiery love of romance, but then they actually think of love between... Uh, to people who are married as a much slow-burning, less exciting love because it's more of the love of responsibility. You got married in seven months? I, that's not to say it's a bad thing, though. Um, again, I, what I, my point isn't is the reason. So May, maybe you got married because you felt that connection, that deep connection, whereas the girls I'm talking about in Japan, they don't have anyone they're actually interested in. They're just like, I want to be married at this point next year. And they get married by that point next year, which is shocking. Because I'm like, do you know this guy? Do you love this guy? My wife and I actually had the conversation, should you live together before you get married? And I was like, you have to live together before you get married. And she was like, why? And I was like, but what if I just have like a smell that you can't stand? And then you have to live with me for 50, 60 years. What if I just make noises or the way I eat starts to grate on you. It's really, really important to know those things about a person before you marry them because once you get married, yeah, the idea is it's a commitment, you do it forever, but then you're stuck with that smell, you're stuck with the noise when they chew. So I just recently had my 16th wedding anniversary. Yay, I didn't get divorced. Um, but my wife and I had the conversation, like what are things that bug you? And my wife actually gets angry that I don't get upset. I stay really calm. And if I get angry, what I'll actually do is just remove myself from the situation because I don't like getting angry. But then I've noticed that over 16 years, the way my wife drinks, she swallows really loud. And it 
it does it doesn't bug me enough for me to actually say it. like I make jokes about it but the only reason I make jokes about it is because I've noticed and it's such a small unimportant meaningless thing but at the same time cumulatively over the next 20 years is it going to make me like oh god I hate you so much stop drinking but this was more of a case of interesting the moral differences because I think back to the Clinton affair where he had an extramarital affair and they they tried to essentially uh, impeach him because of the intramarital affair and he had to go through that like I don't know what is means or something like that uh, I have not had sexual relations with that woman that kind of stuff this is a similar situation only the core issue wasn't sex the core issue was how he treated his partner which is I think a very interesting way to because the geisha lifestyle is transactional so that being transactional means if you don't keep up with with the transactions you're not doing it right and you're treating her unfairly whereas in the west it was sex is immoral I also remember reading a thing about a French prime minister and he had a mistress and they tried to make a scandal of it and then all the French people were like, mm, but of course he has a mistress, he's a very powerful man. <laughs> and that was it. So it's, it's one of those things where the morality in different countries is something you have to learn and get used to because uh, I've actually had co-workers and they just talk about cheating on their spouses really casually because it's just a thing they do for entertainment on the side. It's not that they don't even love their spouse, it's just like I need this extra entertainment and they go out for it. Um, but it is a very different world. And I know if I was living in another country, like I would be interested in how this works in other countries. Like um, there's an article I read and I think Mr. Warmhands and I are going to do a conversation on it. And it's how sex is treated in Japan versus the West. Whereas they have high tolerance for sex and violence is treated differently where violence is really bad and you shouldn't do it in Japan. Uh, but in the West, they have a really high tolerance for violence. So if you have a Japanese anime and it shows panties and it's all like sexual and stuff, in the West, they'll be like, oh, you can't watch that. But you have Western TV or movies where they're shooting people all the time in Japan. They're like, oh, you can't watch that. So there's a difference in morality of what they think is good and bad. And one of the more interesting parts of living in a second culture is finding out about that and then seeing like, do I actually agree? What, what's okay with me and the problem is like I love sex and violence so uh, I think that's the summary of the entirety of the C. McBee podcast is I love sex and violence